What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. All the rock bottoms, all the bad stuff I've sold you, this was by far it. You were considering death by suicide at this point. You were thinking that the only way out is to kill myself. I just want people to know that I've been there, I've made it through it, and I'm clean and sober today and I'm living a normal life. Welcome to Stand Up Speak Up, a Canadian-made podcast highlighting important social issues and giving a voice to remarkable people. And by remarkable, we mean people like Devin Price, who, after a life of drug addiction and crime, is managing to break the cycle and get his life headed in a more positive direction. Here at Stand Up Speak Up, it's our goal to raise awareness around social issues like drug addiction, which negatively affects so many people, most of which are never able to escape. We're thankful for people like Devin who are willing to share their story publicly with the hope of preventing others from heading down the wrong path and showing just how easy it is to fall into the trap, highlighting the need for awareness that drives what we do on the Stand Up Speak Up podcast. Last time in part one, Devin began telling us his life story. If you haven't heard that episode yet, it is a good idea to check it out first. When we left off last time, Devin had just told us how his lifestyle, making and dealing meth and running an escort service, all came to a sudden halt when he was pulled over by police with a car full of drugs. He ended up with a long list of charges, all which carried a maximum of life in prison. Now, as you know, Devin fortunately didn't spend his entire life in prison, and at the age of 29, he's recently been released and is starting a new life. We'll have an update on how that's going towards the end of this episode. But right now, we continue with Devin Price's story. So now, you're being pulled over, and what are you thinking right now? Are you thinking, I'm done? This is, this is it? Basically, I tried to load a rig up. I tried to load a rig up with three grams of mess and do it, and just end it. But I wasn't able to. I didn't have enough time which I guess saved my life because I knew it was it. You were considering death by suicide at this point. You were thinking that in your head, like the only way out is to kill myself. Yes. So you've lost hope and you're just thinking this is going to go down really badly. Right. Because I know, you know, I'm facing this. I know I still got all these warrants, this warrant in Ohio. So I, I just feel like I'm going to spend the rest of my life in prison. So I just, I'm done. My life's, I'm, I'm going to just go, I'm going to go out. You know what I mean? I'm not gonna let I'm not gonna let the system get me. I'm gonna take myself out. Up until now, you've never gotten to the human trafficking side of a business before, right? You've kind of been solely drugs. Do you think that getting into that was already showing signs that you were getting out of control and that it was gonna come down on you? I mean, that's a big step to take from drugs to trafficking. Right. Well, I was around it back here in Toledo. You know, I knew girls that did it. So I knew the ins and outs of the business. I knew how to go about doing it. You know what I mean? I, I, I had been around it for enough years where I had the experience to know what to do, how to do it, how to go about doing it. And so that's how that started. Were any of those girls in love with you? 
No, they weren't in love with me. Um, I was still, actually, my girlfriend was doing it as well. She was escorting herself. Correct. How did that come about? I mean, she's like an educated person, as you said, super beautiful, had a good job. Where did that come out of? Well, when she quit her job and just started using the mess with me, you know, she just kind of, I guess you could say she was jealous of the other girls that were working and doing it. And she wanted to do it. And I never forced her. I didn't make her. She was just more or less like, if you're okay with it, then I want to do it. Where are her kids at this point? Her mother took the kids. Once we started using drugs real bad, uh, her mom took the kids. Her mom at this point moved uh, close to us in a different city in Virginia. So her mom uh, took custody of the kids. I mean, what was it like to to know that your girlfriend is having sex with other men? You know, a lot of people ask me that. You know, how do you allow your the love of your life to have sex with other men? Yeah. And I just, I put it as just like this, as it's just sex. She made a lot of money doing it. She didn't love these guys. She just, it was just, you know what I mean? Sex is, it was just sex. Sex is just sex. Then that's it. What kind of money did she did she bring in? Well, she was getting four hundred dollars for an hour. Four hundred, four hundred for an hour. Four hundred for an hour, and the guy would only stay ten minutes. And how many clients could she have a, a, a week? Uh, twenty. So she was making like ten thousand or eight thousand a week. Yes. And where where was that money going to? Uh, basically, just drugs. We bought two vehicles. I had a two thousand and two Jeep. I had a 05 uh, Chevy uh, Lumina stereo systems in both of them. Uh, we had the apartment. Uh, we had two big screen TVs. We had we had a lot of nice stuff. I had all brand new clothes. But I mean, I'm I'm strung out on drugs. But I had all the money in the world again for the second time in my life. I was on top. I was the man. For her, do you think she will ever be able to heal? from prostituting herself? Like, do you think that's something that she'll never be able to learn how to deal with or get over? I mean, it's, it's pretty traumatic for women once they leave that. It is, but I believe she can, she's really strong and she has a really good uh, head, on, head on her shoulders. And she wasn't like, you know, a lot of girls get forced into it and they have pimps. And I mean, I guess in a sense you could say I was a pimp, but I wasn't because she did what she wanted. It wasn't like, you know, when, when a guy wanted to see her, she made him send a picture. And if it was some nasty old man or someone like that, she wouldn't do it. You know what I mean? She wasn't just having sex. I mean, it, it doesn't make it okay and by any means. But, like, she was only seeing guys that were decent-looking men. You know, you understand what I'm saying? Uh-huh. She wasn't seeing no weirdos or nothing like that. Like, a lot of girls, they'll just do it with everybody, everybody and anybody. And this wasn't the case. And she wouldn't give you any of the money she made? Like, did she also give you 50%? She gave me all the money because me and her were together. So I, I kept all the finances and did, I had a bank account and she gave me all the money, but she could have whatever she wanted. I mean, she had access to the bank, but she would give me the money. I'd put the money up. Okay. So now you're both kind of in this kind of extreme subculture and kind of a, a rednecky town where, you know, it's meth and, and prostitution and you get pulled over. What happens after that? 
Uh, well, I get arrested and they raid the house. What year are we right now? 2015. So I get arrested. Um, they find all the drugs. They charge me six felony counts and take me to jail. Uh, the girls, they just, you know what I mean? They moved on. They took off. They, you know I mean? They didn't really have nothing. You know I mean? Their names were never brought up in anything. Nothing was ever said about them. You know, the car was in my girlfriend's name. The apartment was in my girlfriend's name. So they wanted to charge her. But being that's the love of my life. And at the time, I made sure and made it a point with the police that she didn't know anything about anything that I was doing. So they let her go and just put it all on me. Okay. But she still ends up in jail, right? But that's, that's, a, that's a new story coming, is that? That's another story. Yeah, that's coming later. Okay, okay. So now I'm sitting in the county jail in Abingdon, Virginia, facing six counts of meth distribution and possession. I have a fugitive, now I have a, I have a fugitive warrant uh, out of Ohio. So now after I go to court and face the stuff in Virginia, then I have to face the stuff in Ohio. So at this point, I'm probably, all the rock bottoms, all the bad stuff I've sold you, this was by far it for my rock bottom. This was it. This was it. This was the end. I'll never get out of prison. So I'm incarcerated and she keeps the business going as far as the prostitution and the mess. She moves to another town and she keeps everything going and going and going and going. And she just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger before. And then she finally got caught um, last. Actually, she just got caught last year. So let me go back to you. I'm in jail. I got a lawyer. We got a lawyer. You know, in Ohio, there is no mandatory sentence on drugs. Now, be it, I did have a lot of drugs. I knew I was going to have to do some time. But I'm thinking in my mind, I'm a first time offender. First time, you know, first time felon. It's nonviolent. I didn't have no guns. There was no violence involved. It was strictly drugs. And the lawyer comes back to me and says that they're going to sentence me to 35 years in prison. The sentence, it's three to 35 years based on good behavior. I signed it because there was, I was caught red handed and he told me that now believe this, there was a guy, there was two guys that were, uh, I guess you could say business associates with me that were supposed to have been close friends on me with me. They turned state against me because they were looking at them to charge them and they were going to testify against me in court to save their own ass. What do you do next? Okay. So I sign it. I sign the plea agreement three to 35. So I signed that I'm in the County jail for 11 months and then I get shipped to prison, the penitentiary. They shipped me to a level five at first. Look, because of my, my charges and what I had, I was supposed to go to a level one prison, like a road camp type deal. But because I had a fugitive warrant in another state, it made me a high risk inmate. So that, that, that threw my level all the way up to a five at first. I went to a level five prison where you're locked down 23 hours a day. If you ever get a chance, there's a HBO special called Red Onion Penitentiary. And it's based in Virginia, and it's the it mimics the prison I was at. It's right next door to the prison I was at, and it shows you everything about you know what I mean, being locked down, and everything. So from there, I was actually you know I worked it out with the counselor. They were able to drop my points, and I still had to go to a high level three four in the mountains of Virginia. What kind of people are in that? What are the other inmates like? Gangs, 
violent gangs, Aryan Brotherhood, MS-13s, and these people that are not getting out ever. Like, they carry knives. I've witnessed people get raped. I've witnessed people get stabbed. Um, I've seen somebody get his ear bit off. I've seen people throw hot Vaseline on somebody's face and melt their skin off their face. I've seen a lot of bad stuff. What do the um, the jail guards do? I mean, how do they kind of manage those situations or do they let it happen? They just let it happen. They treat you like shit because they're country hick guys that just think that we are the scum of the earth being in prison. And that's how we were treated, like the scum of the earth every day. How do you know who you align with? How do you manage the, the jail politics? You stay out of them is how you do it. I never got involved in a gang. I was neutral. I worked a job. I worked in the kitchen 16 hours a day, five days a week to stay out of trouble. I stayed to myself. Who would be raping other people? What was a typical profile of an inmate that would think it was okay to rape another inmate? A child molester, a snitch, somebody that owed money. You know, somebody, you, you know, somebody could get raped over a honey bun. As crazy as that sounds. That's reality in prison. Guys in there, guys that run the gangs, they also run store boxes, which means if somebody needs food, they'll give you food on credit with interest. Because you starve in there. If you don't have help and you don't get money for commissary, you will starve. But doesn't the jail have to feed you? They do. And people say, that. oh, well, they feed you three meals a day. You're, you're fine. No, listen, the, the meals, the, the portions are small enough for a five-year-old to eat, first of all. And they feed you dinner at four o'clock in the afternoon. So by seven, eight o'clock at night, your stomach is touching your back if you don't have commissary. And, it, and that's just reality. And you working in the kitchen for 16 hours, did you get access to more food so you could, you didn't have to worry about that? I got to eat exotic food. I was eating, I was eating what the COs were eating. I was eating real hamburger, real burgers. I would make omelets and waffles for breakfast. I actually had it made. I was blessed. I really was. It's funny how you say exotic foods and you put that as a real hamburger. Do you know, and like, uh, like pancakes, like that is what's considered exotic. Would you sometimes take that food that you got from there and trade it with other inmates to get other favors? Yeah, I would make money. I would steal like onions and peppers out of the kitchen and bring them back to the pot. I could get $5 for an onion, $5 for a green pepper. And then what do you do with that? Once you get that money, what do you do with that money? Oh, uh, I basically would just save it. I had a lot of help from the streets. I had, and I worked and I made decent money. You make 45 cents an hour in the kitchen, slaving for 16 hours a day. But I was making probably $125 a month on my state checks. On top of my mother was sending me $150 a month. On top of, I had a, a couple of girls that would send me $20 here and there. And now why would the girls send you money? Did you have like a fan club? I signed up for a website. It's called writeaprisoner.com. And you put a profile up like a Facebook and there's girls out there that want to contact. I don't know if they have a fetish for bag boys or what, but there's, they, they, they contact men in prison to, to form a bond and a relationship with them. So would you meet quite a few uh, women that way? Yeah, I met about 10 different girls. What were they like? I mean, were, were they older, younger? Like, what, what were their stories? Like, why would they be interested? in someone in prison. 
because they're they were uh, low self. I'm gonna tell you, they're low self esteem women. Just I guess can't get a man on the street, and the only way they could get a guy that looks like me is through the penitentiary. That just seems so messed up. Okay, so you put a profile up, and then they would would you be able to email each other, or it had to be written letters? Uh, we would email. They have an app called JPay where you email. They would put money on the phone so I could call them. And I, they did this. I did this for about my, the last year I was there. They, uh, I was really blessed. You know, I had a, I had a tablet that had music on it. I had probably about a thousand dollars worth of songs. I had brand new Timberlands, brand new Nikes. I had a Jordan sweat outfit. I had a flat screen TV. Uh, I had everything you could possibly could get. I had a I had a nice brand new Timex watch. I had a chain. Would you get quite a few? Were you like one of the more popular people to get? Uh, letters? Yeah, you could say that. My first week, I think I got 30 emails. Really? Yep. And they would send you money. Would, would, what, would you have to write back to them quite often? Like, was it... I would call... Like, is there one person that stuck out in your mind as somebody that you had a good pen pal relationship with? Right. Well, I had two. I had, listen, I, I weaned them out because, you know, I'm working 16 hours a day. I can't... I don't have time to talk to all these women. So I weaned it down to two. Um, I had two, one was a dentist and, uh, the other one was actually married in Illinois and she wasn't happy with her marriage. So she reached out to me. So I had these two women that were both sending me money. Did you ever meet any of them once you left? I mean, have you kept up with any of them? Well, I've only been out, I've only been out since Monday and I just, I told her, I said, you know, I appreciate everything you did for me but I'm not really looking to be in no kind of relationship with you. You're married. You know, she wanted to leave her husband and her kids and come to Toledo and like live with me and have a life. And like, that's just not going to happen. But I told her that I'm not, I'm not, you know what I mean? I might've played a little game. You know, I might've gotten her head while I was in there and it wasn't right, but I did what I had to do to survive. But I, I, I came clean and was honest with her once I have been released. You know what I mean? That it's just that I, I will be her friend. If she ever needs someone to talk to, you know, we did have a lot of good conversations, but as far as anything else, as far as anything romantic, it just would never happen. Sorry to get off track. I was just like, oh, that's kind of interesting. In just a moment, we continue with Devin's story, learning how he made it through prison and managed to stay clean, what happened when the warrant from Ohio caught up with him, and his plans and aspirations in his new life. Just wanted to quickly let you know about a way that you can help support what we do here on the Stand Up Speak Up podcast, and that is to leave a quick review on iTunes. It doesn't cost you a cent, but it does help us grow our audience. We're doing really well on the iTunes charts, so really appreciate you listening every week. All you have to do to leave a review is just click onto the Stand Up Speak Up page on iTunes. We hope that you'll give us a five-star rating and leave us a sentence or two about what you love about the podcast. And of course, we're always open to suggestions and ideas for guests as well and anything you have to say to us about the podcast we're listening on facebook at stand up speak up podcast and now back to the story of devin price how did you survive in this type of toxic environment and not get high i mean how did you stay sober this whole time it was tough i'm gonna tell you it was it, it was hard i just i didn't it, for one it's so expensive and at this point, you know, I'm I'm almost two years sober, and I just I want I finally had my mind right. I was going to group, I was going to meetings, I was going to a Narcotics Anonymous meeting on Monday nights. Um, I had group I was going to. I basically just honestly, the job is what kept me 
what kept me straight. If I wouldn't have had that job, you know, I would have had too much free time and I liable would have got caught up in a bunch of bullshit. And I'm glad uh, I took the right path and worked. I worked hard. For two straight years, I worked hard. Just a quick interjection. I'm Zach Tolstoy, one of the founders of Stand Up Speak Up. Our podcast is just one part of the Stand Up Speak Up brand. We are supported by an online store of the same name where we sell a variety of artisan products. We have an ongoing blog series with over a dozen contributors, and we offer a series of interactive workshops. Throughout the different iterations of Stand Up Speak Up, our core message and purpose have always been the same. To create a site that allows our customers and us more opportunities to speak up about and support causes, organizations, and groups that we're passionate about, and that of course could use additional support. My mother and I have learned about allyship over the years from what feels like a thousand and one places and people. We want to encourage members of this fantastic Stand Up Speak Up community to come along and learn with us. So along with our team, we created this workshop featuring videos, articles, and exercises that have really helped the two of us in our own journey towards allyship. Don't worry, it doesn't cost any money and you don't need to make an account to access the information. We want to make our workshop as accessible as possible because we believe in our message and understand the importance of spreading awareness. The Ally Workshop is split into eight parts, including interactive quizzes and helpful videos. It's intended to introduce you to new skills and courses of action in the world of allyship. The workshop is easy to use and can be done entirely on your cell phone, tablet, or computer at your own pace. With each of the eight sections, taking an average of about 15 minutes or so to complete, or a breezy couple hours on a Sunday afternoon. So what are some of the things that got you through this? Like, did you find God? You know, that happens sometimes in situations like this, or was there some books that influenced you or what kind of kept you? My family, my mom, well, let me say, okay, you know, I told you I was facing this warrant in Ohio for this big robbery case, burglary case. So the U.S. Marshals finally got wind that I'm in the penitentiary in Virginia. They came, they drove down here, or they drove to the penitentiary, picked me up, chained me up, and put me in the back of a van and drove me to Toledo to fight this case from 2014. So I'm in Toledo at the county jail. Um, My mom hired me a good lawyer. And, you know, I'm facing two to eight years. I'm already serving a three to 35 in Virginia and now I'm facing eight year, two to eight in Toledo. Well, I'm there for three months and we go through court and the last day of court, the victim, the guy whose house it was, who went on the news and, and said everything, he passed away from a heart attack while I was incarcerated. So because of that, they had no witness. And so they, they dropped all, all charges, no evidence. Okay, so something is finally going in your favor. Correct. Once I beat that, it was like, that's when I started seeing the light. I said, okay, maybe I can do this. You know what I mean? I, I, I finally took care of everything from my past, and now I can, I can move forward. So they, they shipped me back to Virginia. You know, I beat that case. Um, my, low, my level got lowered all the way to a level one. And I got all my good time back. So I was able to get out in just three years. Now, mind you, I still have 
36 years over my head. If I violate, they're really strict on this now. If I violate with a dirty urine or I catch a new case, I'm gone for the rest of my life. And that's it. I mean, how are you going to deal with that? That sounds like really hard. Like, do you have support groups you go to? Like, how are you set up for success? Uh, I was actually, I live in my grandmother's apartment. Um, my mom kept it all set up for me. So I'm living there. I'm going to meetings every day. And I plan on, um, the PO is actually going to get me set up. Uh, you know, even with three years clean, I need a, I still want to have a safety net. Because, you know, I've, you know, people have years and years and years of sobriety that relapse. I mean, look at me when I had seven months and just relapsed for no reason. So there's, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Vivitrol shot. No. There's a, there's a shot. It's called the Vivitrol shot. Now, what it does is you go once a month and you get this shot, but it doesn't get you high like Suboxone or, or other or methadone or anything like that. What it does is it, it kills cravings and it's an opiate blocker. So no opiates can go in my system and it'll kill all cravings. I mean, I know that there's physical cravings for, for drugs, but there's also emotional cravings, right? Like the, the need to escape life and to just feel chill. How do you do that? Like, how do you mentally relax yourself? You know, the, the 36 years scares me. It really does. Um, after everything I've seen and been through, I can't imagine spending the rest of my life there. I just can't. I just have a clear mind today. I pray every morning and I pray every night. Um, I go to meetings once a day. I'm just going to work on myself. You know, I used to be, you know, I used to want to be all flashy and have all the girls and, and, and do all that. And I'm just, I'm over that. It's time to grow up. I'm 29. I'll be 30 at the end of this year. And it's, you know, my 20, from 20 to 30 has been rough. So from 30 to 40, I want to, I want to just chill and live life how you're supposed to. Do you know what you want to do career-wise or job-wise? What are you thinking about? You know, I've, I've thought about getting into maybe being like a speaker or a counselor to try and help guys coming into recovery that are fresh from the streets. You know, I'd like to, you know, to tell them my story and to tell them, you know what I mean, to help. I believe that I could help a lot of uh, people coming into recovery. Okay, but let's say that doesn't work out. What's your backup plan? Well, I'm pretty, um, my stepdad, he's been working at a company called Libby Glass. Toledo is actually, they call it the Glass City. It's been, uh, it's the biggest glass uh, producer in the, in the world. And he's been there 20 years. I have two uncles, my mom's brothers that both work there. I fill out an application to go there. It starts off at 16 bucks an hour. I mean, after working 16 hours a day in the kitchen, making 45 cents, I can pretty much go anywhere and do anything. That's so true. Would you ever want to be a chef or a cook? Or I definitely could. And um, I actually took classes. Uh, I got my serve safe certificate in the kitchen, which tells me that I know how to do temperatures. I know how to prepare food. I know how to put food up. And I had that certificate. I went in, I did the classes and passed the test. Having that certificate puts you in the front of the line when you go to uh, try to get a job in a restaurant. So do you think that's something you're going to look into? I'm going to. I'm pursuing all options. There's nothing that I can't do. You know, I made, I saved, I saved money while I was in prison. You know, I came out with a couple thousand dollars to, to start. So, you know, I took this first week to kind of just chill and get my mind right and get, you know, get back into society. So Monday comes around, it's time to, it's time to get on the ball. I'm going to start my insurance. I'm going to start looking for jobs and I'm going to get on the ball and uh, get things rolling. In just a bit, we'll have a recent update on Devin's progress since getting out of prison. 
But first, remember Devin mentioned that his girlfriend at the time he was arrested eventually went to prison herself. He may be wondering what happened there, and Devin tells us now. I had been locked up probably a year, and that's when the indictments came out, federal indictments came out. Her name was in it. A lot of the people that I knew and was dealing with all got federal indictments for dealing with crystal meth. It really just, it took off. Like when I was out there, it was still, you know, I, I did talk about making a lot of money and what I did get caught with, but it was really just, just taking off when I got actually got locked up and they were do they were actually selling kilos by the time, you know, a year after I had been gone, she was selling, you know, kilos of crystal meth as opposed to just ounces or what's the profit margin for that? I probably really, I want to say anywhere between 15 and 20,000 on a kilo. And I want to say she was probably at least selling one a week, at least, you know what I mean? I can't say exactly how much. So she is making 60,000 a month. I mean, that's insane money. And what do you think she's doing with that money? She was really had a good heart and I want to, you know, honestly, she was using it really just to keep a circle of friends. She would buy her friends clothes and food, drugs. You know, she was taking care of her kids as far as buying her. She didn't have custody of her kids, but she was giving her kids her mom money for the kids and everything, stuff like that. You know, she got caught pretty quick, though. Like I said, the indictments came out. And she was arrested for a conspiracy, conspiracy to distribute over a thousand. It doesn't say an exact amount. It just says over a thousand grams of crystal meth, which carried a 10 to life prison sentence, prison term in federal penitentiary. What could she have done to not get caught? What, did, what were her big mistakes? Trusting too many people. You know, when I was out there, I didn't deal like I dealt with people, but I didn't let them in my inner circle as far as letting, I think she let too many people know what she was doing and, you know, they could either got jealous or whatever the case may be. But I know there was people on her case that wore, wore wires on her, was well, a federal informants on her. And so there was a lot of evidence against her. You know, this is a girl who, when I met her, never even had done a drug to just two years later is selling kilos of crystal meth. Do you blame yourself for that or you think it would have happened regardless? I do blame myself for it. If she would have never met me, I don't believe she would have ever been introduced to that life. Now, do I know that for sure? No. But I mean, most people don't just one day wake up and say, hey, I want to sell drugs. You know what I mean? It's not really something that just happens. Wasn't her ex-boyfriend, the father of her children, also an addict? He was an addict, but he, he overdosed and died when they were still young. But she had, she had been in that. She was pretty much aware of that lifestyle. It wasn't completely foreign to her. And she, she no, it wasn't foreign to her. And she seen the signs in me and definitely knew what it was but i guess the love for her, the love she had for me blinded the reality of what was going on you could say so now she's being indicted and the fbi have been on her right because they've been kind of because she's made it quite obvious that she's in this business and she's making good money so do they just do they do a sting operation or do they just arrest her how does she 
Um, there was 27 indictments that came out. Um, her and just, you know, the whole, everyone she dealt with, basically just, they came and got them all. The U.S. Marshals, they did basically like a sting operation in one day and got 27 people off the streets. She was facing 10 to life. Her mom is quite successful, right? So was she able to get her a pretty good lawyer? Yeah, she had a pretty good lawyer, but the way the feds work is they have a 98% conviction rate, the FBI does. So if you're, if they indict you and they come get you, they got you. They don't just, it ain't just on a hearsay type deal. If uh, they have enough, they, they know they have enough to convict you when, when they come and get you. So where she did have a good lawyer, um, but there really wasn't too much. She actually, okay, so she was facing 10 to life. It was an open plea. But where she had never been in trouble in her life, no juvenile record, no, uh, not even a speeding ticket up to this point. So the judge actually did take it easy on her and she ended up getting eight years. And what year is she on now? How long has she been serving? She's only been in 14 months. Do you get to be in contact with her, like letters or? She, uh, I'm not allowed to uh, really visit with her um, as far as like, they don't allow me to. My parole officer doesn't think it's a good idea, but she's been in contact with my mom and everything. So eventually maybe I'll be able to write her just to see how she's doing. You know, we're not together anymore, but I still don't want to leave her hanging as far as just, just completely not talk to her. You know what I mean? Do you still love her? I do. I do. But, you know, with that being said, I just don't know if it's, I just don't think we could ever, I just don't know if it's something, you know what I mean? I don't know. You know, she's got a, seven, eight years from now is a long time. I don't know where I'm going to be with, be in my life at that time. So I really, I really don't know. Have you craved alcohol and drugs since you've been out? Not at all. Really? Why do you think that is? Well, I don't know if it's because I have 30 years over my head. I don't know, you know, if it's been because I haven't used in three years, but like, I just don't, I don't think about it no more. Like, I think like, I'm so focused on just bettering myself, catching up on things that I've missed over the last three years, spending time with my mom, uh, making sure parole's happy, uh, making sure I'm doing good. Like, I'm so focused on positive right now that I, I don't even, it doesn't even pop in my mind like, oh, let's go get high or, you know, I could just do one or, uh, you know, for some people it does, but for so well, so far, I have not once thought about using drugs. You know, Carla, I really, I really, one of the main things I want to do, accomplish by doing this is I really want people to see, you know, I was a big time drug dealer to the lowest of the low, um, to the top again in prison. And now that I, I, that I can live a normal life and be clean and sober off drugs and have a real job and have a real life and be sober and be in recovery. Like that's just really what, you know what I mean? I want people to see that, to know that it is possible because I see every day on the heroin support group, people that are just so hopeless. They don't, they want to get sober, but they just don't know how. They don't have the means or the funds. They're dope sick. And I just want people to know that I've been there. I've made it through it. And I'm clean and sober today and I'm living a, living a normal life. And that's the story of Devin Price. We thank Devin again for speaking publicly about his life and wish him the best of luck. We're not done with the Price family just yet, though. Devin's mother has a story of her own 
Remember, he was raised by his grandparents as his mom suffered from drug use issues, which started after Devin's father left them. That's next time on Stand Up Speak Up. And today's show wrap-up starts right now. I'm sure I speak for everyone that listened when I say that I really hope that he's able to continue on the path that he's on. You know, you get really invested in these stories. I feel at on a personal level now after just hearing and working with this episode. It sounds like he's on a great track. What can you tell us, Carla? Because I know you've been in contact with Devin on a weekly basis since you did this original interview and he was released from prison uh, about a month ago. How's he doing? Well, he's doing really good. And I try to check in with him every few days to see how's it going. And he had a really stressful situation happen on the past weekend. And we talked on Sunday and he was just so proud of himself that he didn't resort to drugs. So he had something not go his way in his his personal life. And before he said, I would have just turned to drugs and just zoned out. And this time I just worked through all my emotions and I just refuse to fall back into that pattern. And that was pretty amazing to hear because life's not perfect, right? I mean, shit happens all the time. Bad stuff happens all the time. Now, he really hasn't been out of prison all that long, but has he found a job yet or how's the search going? I know he's looking for one. Yeah, he has a job and I think he'll be really good at it. It's in the car business, um, selling cars. I think he's a natural salesman. I think he has a lot of charisma. I think he's very ambitious. And I think he's really taking it with a really positive approach. It would be great if this was less of a rarity and more common with people that end up going down the the path in life that he did. Of course, it would be good to not have that happen at all. But like we've discussed over the last, uh, you know, Devin and Howard's story as well, most of the time people that start down that road, they don't really come out of it. Well, I think Howard and Devin, which I like about both of them, I think that they are able to still see past their upbringing. So they have like a real go-getter attitude. Maybe it, maybe it's because they're, they're both hustlers, right? Like hustles, I mean, to hustle on the street, you have to be pretty ambitious and you have to have leadership skills. There's one interesting thing that I wanted to bring up that we talked about this episode or Devin mentioned to you briefly that I thought was kind of interesting. And and I was certainly intrigued to go look it up. He talked about uh, when he was in prison, he had been on this site, writeaprisoner.com. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. Crazy, eh? If anyone's not too familiar with this, like I'd never heard of it until Devin brought it up this episode. It's basically uh, a website where you write, you communicate with prisoners there. You can do it through an email system, but for others, you actually type it in and it will be sent to them by letter mail. It mainly depends on where they are and the rules. So the prisoners pay a fee, um, and then people in the in the public anywhere in the world can actually write and communicate with them. And you are able to donate to help them cover those uh, the expenses to have their their profile on the site. But one of the most amazing things that caught me when I first looked at it is you have a, an image in mind of what a prisoner would look like, and uh, there are plenty on that site who I. I was shocked. You just, you look at them. It's like this person is in jail and then look at their crimes and, you know, for, for things like murder and serious crimes. And I just couldn't believe the photo of the person. I know it just tells you, right? Like can't judge a book by its cover. And that means in the positive and in the, the negative, right? I mean, there's a lot of people walking around that are criminals, but look like everyday people. And then there's a lot of people that 
look like criminals and are really good people. Yeah, and I don't, I'm not trying to uh, downplay the the sadness of the situations that led them there, but I couldn't believe it. I was floored looking around that site. So, do you think you're going to write to write to some get some pen pals in jail? Honestly, I wish I wish we could write them all because I had so many uh, men and women open just looking at their stories and their profiles, and I just is overwhelming to a point because I just wish we could write them all. I know it's interesting. Well, and I love it how Devin's like, yeah, well, girls that normally wouldn't get to talk to me get to talk to me because I'm in jail. <laughs> yes, now that's yeah, we I that's uh, you know. I was laughing at that. I was like, I'm sure he's such a womanizer, right? He probably gets on the phone and he charms them. Well, he did. He, he did admit that he may have been a little misleading to some that communicated with him and provided him money, which he's a hustler, right? That's what hustlers and he's a charming. hustler. I think what he said so. was he, he did what he had to do to survive. Yeah, um, I'm not uh, condoning it, but I'm just saying, yes, he did. He did admit that on the show. Yeah. And I don't know if that's an underlying purpose of this site. I'm not really sure because you don't have to, to send them money. For no. their pro, but you can, and you can even buy them things like books, etc. But like Devin said, he had people um, sending him money in prison. So I don't know if that's kind of why everyone is on this site. Let's say I don't know. I think it comes out of loneliness. I mean, you know, our our podcast guest Lee Meller, we've had him on a few times, and he's uh, got a PhD in, um, I guess, like serial killers, psychopaths, and and. He writes to a lot of them in jail um, because he studies them and he's fascinated by them. And, uh, you know, he says that some of these people that have had horrific crimes get tons of letters from women that know that he's like raped and killed like 20 women and they're still writing to him. You almost wonder like, okay, do do they have some type of fetish or do they think they're going to save this person or do they just feel so much empathy yeah, and that brings me back to where I was saying I wish we could write all of them. I'm hoping that because this site exists, it seems very popular. I do hope that these people on there are getting lots of letters. I know, because it would be so lonely in jail. That's one of the things that Devin and I talked about quite a bit, and Howard and some of the other guests that have been in jail that I've you know spoken with. Just the isolation, the loneliness would be unbearable. I think the lack of touch, I, I couldn't stop asking how do you deal with like no physical contact, no intimacy? And I don't mean intimacy like sex. I'm talking just an intimacy to, you know, be able to just touch another human being and and hug and feel the warmth of a person and, and talk about things that are so close to your heart. Like, how do you do that in an environment that's almost savage-like? One of the things on this site, the big things that obviously doesn't get you hugs, but they say that having communication with the outside world and socializing has a positive effect uh, on the inmates and increases their chances of actually readjusting properly once they get out. And of course, the loneliness thing, you know, there's there's really nothing to look forward to in there. So it's quite a process because I was trying to communicate with a guy that went to jail. He was a doctor that went to jail for for fentanyl you know, selling fentanyl patches and everything. And so I wanted to have him uh, be a guest just because his life is very interesting. He was like upper society in our area of Toronto and then all of a sudden in jail. And I had to, you know, write the letters, mail them. And then he would write me back a letter, handwritten in the mail. 
And it's like a lengthy process because I thought by the time it gets to him, that's two weeks. By the time he gets back to me, it's another two weeks. My son was like, mom, why do you have a letter coming from the Kingston Penitentiary? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, oh, just one of my friends. It's it's interesting. The site isn't just for that because they actually offer a bunch of different programs. Like they have a resume and uh, back to work service. Uh, they have a books program where you can donate books and some other ways to help. Even if you didn't want to connect with someone directly, you can just kind of donate and they have money that goes towards uh, towards helping inmates. So it's really interesting. I got to say, I'm glad that it exists and it seems to be it's been around for years. So it's doing well and providing a good service. Yeah. OK, you'll have to put that link in so people can go and. Yes, we will put writeaprisoner.com in the show notes, and perhaps you'll uh, you'll find someone there you might want to send a letter to and brighten their day. So we're done with Devin, sort of, because we have a new guest coming on next time whose story intersects with Devin's, you could say, because it's his mom. So you know about this now, Carla. Can you kind of tell us where this is going as we, we move on to Devin's mother, how, how their stories will connect and a little bit about her story? Well, I really wanted to talk to Linda because I really wanted to understand her perspective and how she saw the events unfold. And and also, I didn't want the audience to judge his mother as this like villain or someone that's made Devin's life horrible because she has her own story to tell. So I really wanted to talk to her first about her relationship with Devin, but then I wanted her to go right into her past. And start from the beginning. And how did she end up in the scene of drugs and and being in abusive relationships and not holding down jobs and stealing stuff from her parents? And just how did, and what was Devin exposed to? So what are some of the things that Devin saw when he was really young that perhaps made him a little bit of who he is today? And Linda goes into some really... Um, traumatic events that Devin witnessed. Most of them involve, you know, him seeing her get beaten. And I think that she loved him so much. And so she wanted to be with him all the time. So when she was going through, you know, a drug fix of like three or four days, sometimes De- Devin could witness that. And Devin would get very worried about her because he would, you know, not be able to sleep or eat or anything when his mom took off and didn't come back for four or five days after a drug binge and he was living with his grandparents. All right. Well, we'll be hearing that story on the next episode. The Stand Up Speak Up podcast is made in Canada, produced and hosted by Carla Stevens Tolstoy. Co-production, editing and narration by Joel at East Coast Radio Creative. Copyright 2018. Find us online at standupspeakupapparel.com. If you have a moment, please leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to Stand Up Speak Up. Come on a journey like no other where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. 
follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at averyrich.com.